Hey, I'm Nathan. And I'm Shane. And together... Wonder Twin powers activate. Oh, whoop, shit. I forgot you were doing the bit. <laughs> we never figured our bit. Ah. Okay, no, let's not do the bit. Okay. I'll just do, hey, sup, I'm Nathan. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Nathan. What's up? Would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Hey, I'm Nathan. I run Mommy's Best Games, and if you like retro 2D action shooting and jumping and fighting monsters, you should play my games because I make a lot of them. Or if you like pigs that vomit up tennis balls. I also did that. Um, Basically, if you like quality, uh, inventive, gameplay-driven entertainment, um, you should play some of my games because I guarantee you can't find anything else like it, even if you tried. It's it's definitely a unique perspective that I value. I'm going to... I take that on my gravestone i'd be fine with that yeah you already have a pull quote from me on your uh pig eat ball page hell yes it was great probably made some money on that on the big you know kickstarter oh, yeah thing. i should get kickbacks for yes. figure out exactly how much money you made off of my pull quote suddenly regretting reminding jim about that <laughs> uh shane would you like to introduce introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug hi uh uh i'm shane i'm a i'm a jesuit Regent is actually the new title I have, and uh, I don't know. Is it weird to do like an earnest plug, or is that like we 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 only do weird on this podcast? Mine was earnest. That's true. Okay. Well, uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug the group that I'm gonna hopefully be working with soon enough, which is the Jesuit Refugee Service uh, in the Middle East, uh, and they do education programs and accompaniment and uh, advocacy work for largely Syrian refugees. Okay, so I can't I can't take advantage of this service. You cannot take advantage of it, no. But like, if you if you felt moved by that and like what they do, uh, then you can donate money to them and help support the work. Okay, all right. So there's the plug. Yeah, that was actually really good, Shane. It kind of makes me feel like a heel for promoting my own business. Oh, but anyway, please. God no. <laughs> Just talk about the refugee work you're doing next, Nathan. <laughs> and I'll talk about the games I'm making next, and and we'll be. We'll be square. That's why I asked, can I do an earnest one? And now, see, now I look like the jerk. Mine, no, mine was earnest because I'm trying to make money for my children. See, that's, see, you got a family to feed. That's, that's, that's the most earnest thing there is. Yes. Yeah. But yours was, was, was really good too, Shane. Shane, you and I have definitely talked about, I, I have been complaining on Twitter about how that I don't really want to make video games for gamers. I kind of want to figure out how to use my skill set to like provide comfort to people who actually need it instead of people who are like just thousands of games in their steam backlog. Yeah. Um, but I can't figure out how to sell, make out how to make a living doing that. And you were saying that you kind of skipped that part. Yeah, that was like part of my discernment for leaving the games industry actually it was sort of that realization of like, I, uh, I'd worked on these big AAA things and I had enjoyed the work and I had, been very lucky to work on some some games that i was really proud of but i was like okay well to keep moving up this ladder it's like do i want to try to be a creative director do i want to try to go independent and do my own little thing and and i had taken this job where i was uh basically like reporting directly to the creative director i was with him all day seeing what he was doing and i kind of had this realization of like oh that's oh my god i don't want to be doing that you know, I was also at that point in my career where I was like, okay, what is, what is the the inflection point here? And realizing that a lot of my game dev heroes, like I knew a lot of folks in their 50s who were still like chasing some success they had in their 20s, uh, trying to match that. And I was like, oh man, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to try to do that. And I was like, so what are the games I want to make then? And I have, and I still have this huge ideas.txt file that I kind of <laughs> hack away at, at, like just making stuff for myself now. But I was like, all these games I want to make are, are, are very social justice y, non commercial kinds of things. And I, I realized, like, the best case scenario, and that's, it was even like, because we all know, like, having an idea and executing an idea are very different things. But I was like, you know, even if I execute one of these ideas phenomenally, like my best case scenario is like getting all these write-ups on video game sites and like 12 people buy this game because <laughs> it was just going to be depressing yeah. or weird or something. And so I was like, okay, that's that's not going to be. So uh, realizing that I didn't, uh, as much as I still loved making games and enjoyed them 
uh, as like a creative outlet and everything. I didn't need that to be my identity and my livelihood anymore. But I also was uh, not in a position where I had a, a family or any other responsibilities. So I could <laughs> make completely personal individual decisions without having to worry about somebody else. Right, right. If I took that vow of poverty, my wife would be upset about that, probably. <laughs> and rightly so. Yeah, no, that, that, would, that would not be an appropriate move for you. I mean, I think, Jim you're, and Shane, like you guys are basically talking about high art, right? Like where you would get somebody to fund it. I guess it would. Yeah, well, you you need a patron. Yeah, exactly. Which they probably have a website for that, maybe. <laughs> but seriously, um, that's how that sort of works, right? Is that you make something and then it's like a curator and then they decide everyone could benefit from your brilliance that it's not going to be commercially viable normally. Yeah. Right. And then you put it out there. I mean, it seems like, yeah, it's one of those classic market failure kinds of things uh, where there's this this sort of gap of those those weird artsy and I shouldn't say weird artsy games don't exist because they definitely do but they're I feel like in general they're not rewarded the way they should be yeah and they, well they they just don't exist on any sort of like they don't exist with any budget or with a significant number of people caring about them it, it's it's weird because like I remember I got into indie games because there was this boom from like I don't know 2008 to 2012 maybe of like if you made a small but interesting game, you could spend a weekend on it and get on the front page of Kotaku. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> well, and like when Newgrounds was really big and all that stuff, like there, there was just this way of getting games out there that, that I feel like there's, the, like there's not like where do I go now to find the weird little interesting stuff? Well, there was indie, IndieGames.com and I remember I would, check, I would check that every day and there'd be like a couple games. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, ooh, yeah. I've read about those two games. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> and then you'd like, oh, I wonder if I'll get my game on that site. You know, <laughs> it was pretty cool at the time. Yeah, I don't know where to go now. Everywhere. Oh, yeah. There's, I, I no longer have any sort of finger on the pulse of indie games. <laughs> right. like, I, think it, I think it might be impossible. Well, that makes me feel better because I had worried for a while that like I I was just completely out of touch with games because I only knew like the big releases coming out and like the occasional indie stuff that my Twitter feed surfaces to me. But I wouldn't rule it out. It may be that I'm also just out of touch. All right. Well, <laughs> we can be out of touch together then. But but my sense of it is that it's just gotten so much more voluminous that it's ridiculous to try to, to keep up with everything. You guys, we haven't started on the tropics at all. Oh, right. There's topics. We were going to talk about that. Yeah, let's do it. Well, he promised at the outset that this is the only place on the internet where you can hear about topics or hear topics <laughs> discussed. So we need to deliver on that promise. All right, Shane, your topic is Beforeigners. So this is um, Beforeigners is this uh, HBO Europe show. Or it's HBO Nordic or something. Um, but you can see it on HBO in the US as well. I forget how I heard about it, but... Uh, it's one of those just completely, utterly s- strange concepts that uh, I thought that the internet would fall in love with, and I don't know why there's not hundreds of memes about this show. Because so it's it's set it's set in Norway. It's made in Norway. It's in Norwegian, so you got to be willing to read. It's the idea is that um, people from three different time periods just start showing up in the Oslo harbor uh, in the present day, and. These are people from like the 1800s, what they loosely call Viking times and uh, the Stone Age. And these people just sort of show up in the harbor. There's like a little burst of under of light underwater. And then these people, then they have no idea how they got there. Then that's kind of like the mystery the show is playing on, like why this is all happening. But the show itself actually takes place about 20 years after this starts happening. And so you've seen like there's a fairly large population of these people now and they've kind of integrated into society in different ways. Uh, to different extents, um, and it's it's a kind of a thinly veiled immigration metaphor, but at the same time, with this sort of uh, high concept uh, sci-fi premise, they ba- they basically decide to tell uh, of a pretty solid uh, noir murder mystery with uh, this. Wow. Where the co- yeah, where the cop, <laughs> the cop investigating, and his uh, his new partner, uh, who is uh, a woman from Viking times, she's just been hired as a. <laughs> this isn't a real a, show. This You're is a real show. <laughs> and, but like you know, but but she she has to hide that she was a, a warrior <laughs> because like warriors aren't allowed to be in the police. So she told them all she was a farmer's wife and like. 
every now and then she does something badass and they're like, wait, I thought you were a farmer's wife. And the title, like when I saw the title and the headline, Be Foreigners, I was like, okay, I'm I'm completely sold on this show knowing nothing else about it. <laughs> um, and then I read the concept, it was like, holy crap. And like, I won't say it's it, like, it, this is not like a show that I'll be thinking about on my deathbed probably. This is not, I don't know if I want to put it in the pantheon, but I just feel like it's such a different idea for a TV show uh, and pretty well executed. And it's only six episodes. So like... That brings up the question that I think we need to pivot to this other conversation now. What show are you going to be thinking about on your deathbed? <laughs> oh, uh, that's not on the topic list, Jim. Oh, okay. All right. We got to talk about the foreigners more. No, no. That, <laughs> I, I, that, that's a good question. Uh, I'm going to... Mm, do you have one in mind? No. I'll think of, I'll just I'll just be thinking about Mario 64 for the rest of my life. <laughs> for the rest of my life. <laughs> Shane, if, if, if the foreigners doesn't have that heavy voiceover trailer... In a world. He's a cop. She's a Viking. You know, and they and they talk about the, them being on the beat, and I don't know. I can tell you why it didn't go well. They need that. They need that trailer. It doesn't have the yeah, and because it's set in uh, in Scandinavia, they need the um, the Led Zeppelin, it, the immigrant song. Hello, yes, thank you. I mean, it's about immigrants, right? Exactly. I could help them with this if anybody wants me to work on this show in the second season. <laughs> right, <laughs> I could. My my friends and I watching it, uh, the other guys in my house, we we didn't re- we thought it was like a, a limited series, like a mini series kind of thing, and then you get to the end of the first season. I'm not, and I, I won't spoil it, but but like they're clearly setting up season two, and so all of us are sitting there going, "What the hell is happening?" Is like all these different plot lines start coming in, and we're getting our minds blown, and then we're like, "Oh, it's it's there's going to be a season two. Oh, okay." Is there actually going to be a season two? Uh, I, I don't think it's been officially renewed. Uh, right. And and I don't know. And given the fact that it hasn't really like set the, the internet on fire, make, makes me a little little suspicious. But if, if I were trying to get this funded, I would just say, okay, guys, it's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure plus Law and Order. <laughs> <laughs> two wildly successful franchises. Yes. And you just smush them together. So they go in the past. They bring these guys back you know and then they do law and order episodes i love law and order who doesn't it sounds like a cool show though it is so this show is in norwegian right correct that's my guess as to why this isn't blowing up is like yeah (laughs) no that's fair which means what's going to happen is like in three years this is going to get a an american remake yeah uh and it's not going to be quite as good but like all of a sudden it'll be it'll be a thing steve steve carell is going to be the cop they i hope they still stick with the vikings instead of being like incans or something well this thing is like the show implies that this is happening all over the world and so and so i want to see like they could do the american version yeah what's happening in america what's happening in australia what's happening in japan like let, let me see all these Except Different for the versions. American version would just pull somebody from the Midwest out of Ronald Reagan's time <laughs> and bring him to present day. And that's, that's as far as they would take Actually, it. Actually, they're definitely going to do Vikings because Vikings are white. Yeah. <laughs> the true. original white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they would go for that. That's true. Yeah, this sounds really cool. And you say six episodes. That's, that's something I can fit into my life. Right? That's a very reasonable commitment. That's an important measurement. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's huge. This game's 70 hours long. No, not playing that. I'm, I'm a grown up now. I don't. That's that's when you find out you're grown up. Yeah. When you tell me like this game is only four hours long. Like, great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> can, can we make it two? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I could do it in one night instead of two. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's too real. Are you ready for another topic? Let's do sure. it. Sure. Uh, Nathan, your topic is curating your child's entertainment so they grow up with good taste. So, I have a 13-year-old and a 9-year-old. Um, Jim, you've got a small thing. Yeah, my, my kid is about 20 months right now. 20 months. So, um, uh, Shane, do you have any spawn? Nope. Uh, part, of, part of my whole deal. Yeah. <laughs> your, your only child is the Lord. Sure, let's go with that. So, I didn't... I hope it wasn't too extreme but um at least when my first one was like three or four he was allowed to sort of and this is back you know 10 years ago so ipads weren't completely prolific at that point at least for me we didn't have them everywhere um so he wasn't just playing on it constantly and so 
I did this really nerdy thing where I still have like about every reasonable console, video game console, and lots of games. Um, and I have a little museum in the house here <laughs> in the office. And so what I would do <laughs> is I would just roll out a new game every day or every, every couple of days or week, but I would actually take it through the years. So he was not allowed to play a poly- polygonal game until several years in. I don't know. Is that super nerdy? I, I have to admit, I've been, I was thinking about doing that exact same thing. Oh, dude, it's so good. Is it? Mm. Is it really? Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem. I, I, I can tell you this. The iPad, it's all messed up now because it's just like the go-to um, pacifier. Yeah. Mm. And it didn't, I didn't have that problem. So, I can't help you, Jim. Yeah. Like, I really can't. You know, you're in a new situation and um, it sucks like for that situation, but... And like, even if I, uh, even if we didn't have, we could, ha- we could not have an iPad in the house, but we could have, like, I, I definitely want this kid to be able to like, look things up on Wikipedia. Yeah. I was thinking mm. about like, not giving him a desktop PC. Oh yeah. As opposed to like an iPad or a laptop, like, you know, if you want to use the internet, you're sitting in this, in this chair. <laughs> and it's going to be with a CRT screen and you're going to have to... And but but then like he's probably going to find video games that are much more interesting than Super Mario Brothers or <laughs> Atari Twenty Six Hundred Adventure. No no no, you've got to lock him away. No, he can't have access to the internet. <laughs> you have to control this really carefully, and then meet meet these out slowly, and he'll be amazed. Uh, what the other thing I need to do is install some sort of filter so that instead of seeing like depraved ads for porn. He sees like videos of like normal people having normal sex. <laughs> yes. I think actually everybody could use that ad, that thing. <laughs> that, that would you be amazing. Benefit from that. Um, so, so just, just so you can know how this went. So he's 13. Yeah. And he now plays Rainbow Six Siege with his friends online. Right. I've lost him. Right. Oh, he's, he's lost to you. It's he's a- gone. He's gone. He's lost to me. I'm sorry. I, I tried. I did everything I could. But I will say this. When his friends come over through the years at different birthday parties and sleepovers and stuff, just as one interesting point um, out of many things that, that out, of, out of many games, they'll say, "Hey, um, hey, Ezra, like, what's that one game with the sword?" And he'll like, he'll be like, "Oh, you mean Bushido Blade? We have oh, to get the PlayStation yeah. One going." But he's like, "Oh gosh, you want to play that?" And then, but then they all get into it. And I've got these kids that could be playing anything else, playing Bushido Blade for like two hours straight. That's because Bushido Blade is a really good game. <laughs> Screaming at each other. And yeah. and then we get into the manual and I'm like, guys, remember, you got we have to throw sand. And we're like doing that for a while and then we're rolling <laughs> on our backs and like... Bushido Blade has a, a, a pocket sand ability? Oh my gosh, dude. The game's so yeah. good. It's so weirdly... Wow. It's so weirdly paced that it works. I, I, I think about that game and, and others like it where... You know, there's like a sort of like an amplitude setting to, to every game. If it's balanced, like if you look at like Batsugan, like a shoot 'em up that, you know, those bullet hell games, if everything's balanced, you can handle all kinds of insanity. But if everything's balanced the other way and it looks super slow, but everything's, you know, like on a razor's edge, like Bushido Blade, it looks slow. But holy crap, when you play it against somebody, it's still freaking hard and like addictive. It's just an impressive balance in that game that there's everything matters sort of. Yeah. It ends up feeling like a real-time tactics game almost. Like the pace is such that like the decisions you're making are sort of more at that tactical level, but because you're always responding to what the other person is doing, you're it, it, it's less frenetic than your standard fighting game, but you're but it's so much more I don't know, I feel more like I'm dancing playing that game than I do with other fighters. That's a game that I I put in terms in the Venn diagram of art and commercial. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's an art piece. I mean, like the music that comes to it, even the menu system, even though everything that it, the way it acts feels like a, a weird interactive art piece. But to actually get to play it with somebody, it's just fun. Yeah. But anyway, not not just that game in particular. I also got him on Halo Two. Halo Two shared screen. So we walk through all the. I just try to take him through the classic game history th- situations. So you know, screen peeking. Yeah. And. And we just like laugh about it and have so much fun, like just dying. And now, you know, and you'll get this with your kids, Jim, it's so much fun um, where you, you have like in jokes with the kids. Yeah. And so now, now we're doing stuff like, like one of us will start doing that yell that the guy dies when he falls off the platform <laughs> and it sounds terrible. And he's like, bah! 
And we just, uh, just, you know, it's fun stuff like that. So <laughs> Very good. I, I, I definitely think about this a lot about like, how do I get my kid to like the same things <laughs> I like? And should I even, like, I, I want this kid to like everything. You know, I want to... All the things that I think are, are dumb and to be shunned, I actually want this kid to like them, like sports. I, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, what what if he what if he ends up liking stuff that like not even like has bad taste, but like ends up liking entire genres of stuff that you're not into? Is that like, oh, now I have this chance to share something with you, or is that like, oh no, I can't connect with you? Yeah, I mean, well, this is this is actually relevant to the next topic, so I'm just going to segue into that. Oh, so my topic is I spent half an hour watching someone solve a Sudoku and it was amazing. Yes. Um, I don't know if you've seen this video. It's been going around the Twitter, uh, but it, I saw it. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a, a a famed puzzle solver. Like apparently he's won contests who was presented with a uh, Sudoku variant where they've added in addition to the to the traditional Sudoku rules of like what numbers are not allowed to be in relation to what other numbers, they added um, that uh, numbers cannot be the same when they're a knight's move apart and knight's move being the L shape in chess. And they, um, they can't be directly next to a number of um, one or higher or lower. Then the grid he was presented with had like two numbers already pre-filled in it, which is ridiculous. And his reaction to this was like, this has got to be a joke. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try this for five minutes and then probably stop the video and never upload it to the site. And I'm going to call this guy and yell at him. What's great, though, is is at that moment, you know that you're watching the video yes. and you know that it's 25 minutes long. Right. So, so, so the moment he says that, you're like, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be so good. Yeah. And the rest of the video is this guy astonishing himself repeatedly, like... At, at every turn, he's like, oh, this is, this is, we can't, okay, now we're stuck. We did the last part, but this next part is impossible. And then Wait a minute. proceeding yeah. <laughs> to be, be utterly amazed at that this is a solvable problem and that he's just doing it with incredible ease. In addition to just sort of the, the arc of this and how, how good he was at sort of commentating his own performance is, is, is how he was also very humble in this. Yeah. Uh, it, it, he was never like, look how great I am. He, it's like he was amazed at the puzzle designer at every step. And it was like he felt like he was in conversation with him. Yeah. And at, at every point he was kind of like, this is brilliant what we're seeing here. Like what he has done is astounding and as, as it kind of escalates. But it's never about himself. Right. Yeah, that's what it sounds like it would be that if he's solving it so well that the design was that good or like in, you know, intuitive, I guess, even though it seemed hard. So this person is clearly a savant, but oh, sure. yeah. also I, I think, I do think there's, there's blame on both sides. <laughs> but yeah, my, my point is just that like, I would never care enough to, to solve that kind of puzzle. Like it's just not interesting to me, but I'm wondering if I just, do I just love watching people really enjoy something that they love. <laughs> I think that might be all it is because like I th I was much more so than the actual puzzle itself. I was just really digging this guy really tearing into this this puzzle that was absolutely delicious for him. That's funny because when you first said that you watched someone solve a Sudoku puzzle for 30 minutes, yeah. I assumed it was narrated by Marv Albert. It's ghost. <laughs> I don't know if he's dead or alive, but it did not sound interesting. <laughs> but now it sounds interesting. Well, and that like I when I sent this link to some people, I I said I and it's true. I have literally never done a Sudoku in my life. Like I know the rules of it, and I learned uh, someone explained it to me once. And I was like, oh okay, that doesn't appeal to me. But I've literally never done one, and this was one of the best videos I've watched in like a year. Yeah, uh, it, it it it's hard to explain that appeal <laughs> to people, but it's like. This is the gentlest, most wonderful thing you'll see in a while. Yeah. And it's then cool. I tried watching some other videos by the same person and just the, the magic just wasn't there because it was just a regular puzzle. So, you, it probably was that sort of enjoyment you're feeding off of then. Yeah, I think I think so. Was it because I've actually watched the same video again since then? I didn't try to watch other videos of his, but I've I watched the same one again. And I don't know. This is since I was a kid, I've always like. If I liked a movie, I would just immediately watch it again and then watch it like seven or eight times. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Feel free to armchair psychoanalyze me. Yeah, I've done that too. 
you know, knowing the ending and watching the progression and everything, like there's still something really spectacular about it and, and noting every step, how he keeps thinking he's hit a wall. Yeah. But then he's willing to say like, well, maybe I can do this one thing and how it keeps tripping him into the next thing. It, it's, it's lovely. Sounds like good sports. It very much so. Yeah. Just hitting walls, overcoming obstacles, sincerity, you know, actually struggling and mm-hmm. yeah. joy. And oh, and there's something too of like, it, yeah. I mean, it, it, as much as it, 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 you know, it feels like a, a greeting card version of it, but it's, you know, when, when the problem seems impossible, just do the simplest thing you think you can do about it. And, and, yeah. and that's what, cause when he's about to give up and he's like, well, okay, actually I can place a one in this square, but maybe that. And then once he does that, he realizes he can do something else and he can do something else and it all. And that's, he, he's good at explaining his thought process too. So yeah. you're watching somebody who's very good at something. And, you know, I, mm. like I said, I've literally never done a Sudoku. That would have probably, if I could have done that at all, it would have taken me weeks. Uh, but <laughs> him just sort of saying like, here's, here's how I'm thinking about this. Uh, getting that insight into how someone else's mind works. Yeah. That is cool. Like it's like one of those master classes, like, right. Like learning, you know, along the way while you watch. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. If the person giving the master class was also discovering that they were a master while making the video. <laughs> that, that sounds really good, actually. Yeah, it doesn't it? You see why this video is taking the internet yes. by storm. Yes. Uh, you ready for another topic? Sure. So this is a, this is a write-in. Brandon asks, taking care of children versus taking care of pets. Shane, you don't have any children. Have you had pets? I, I have. And yeah. how does that compare to not taking care of children? Uh, well, the, the pets don't talk back to you. Yeah. You haven't, you haven't met my cat, (laughs) (laughs) but like, I don't know my, my, my cat that I had right before I entered the Jesuits, I think was as moody and standoffish as any teenager I've met. But, uh, but I also didn't have to worry about her taking the car. So, yeah, I saw, um, item in the news recently about a, a five-year-old who took the family car. He wanted to drive to California and buy a Lamborghini. He had $3 in his pocket, is ready to make the transaction. (laughs) (laughs) One Lamborghini, please. Yes. That's amazing. How did he reach the pedals? Apparently, this was a big (laughs) five-year-old. Okay. Yeah, so close to to a joke punchline there. (laughs) How did he reach the pedals? I don't know. I think the big difference between pets and children is with children, they are a part of you. You know what I mean? So you just constantly see that reflection in them. So as as much as I do love pets, um, and I do, you just always feel that like mirror kind of image sort of thing in a child. So oh, there's my cat. Um, <laughs> so you heard us talking. What? What do you want? Yeah, it's that's the big part. Like you can definitely love pets and you know pets a lot, but the children part, it's just when I think of kids, my my kids a lot of times. I, I don't. Hopefully, this doesn't sound too weird. But you, I literally like feel that family tree stretching out forwards in the future and behind you into the past. That's really neat. I don't know. It's just always there. Like you just kind of imagine that that um, progression in that history. So I am definitely not imagining that because I <laughs> barely had children, and I think it's very plausible that Winston won't have any, just because of like the. Just because I'm assuming he's going to be like me, you know? Don't get dark. I was going to say, Jim, don't get dark. Come on, man. Okay. Stay with right. us. Stay in the light. But if he's like you, you had a child. Oh, th- Therefore, <laughs> Q-E-D. Yeah, you're right. He's going to, long after I'm dead, he will have one child. And they'll call it something cool like, you know, Organospawn mm-hmm. in 2050 or something. Because Elon Musk will have figured it out, man. How to, how to name children organospawn. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. Uh, so, early on, my experience with Winston, the difference between him and pets is that it's way worse if we take care of him badly. <laughs> like, the responsibility is so much greater. And now that he's uh, had a little bit more of a chance to grow into a person with, like, agency and opinions... <laughs> Uh, the responsibility is still there, um, but there is also uh, a potential 
it's been super interesting watching him watching him grow that agency and grow those opinions and also like knowing that those things are just going to get stronger over time he's going to be become a more powerful entity and he's going to care more like d- develop more and more specific things that he cares about and both of these things are like super interesting to me like that that this is something that I get to help shape and that it is my responsibility to make sure he turns out to be a, a good person, which is not something you ever think about when you think about a cat. Yes. You know, your, your, your responsibility to a cat is like, make sure it doesn't die. And then hopefully like you and the cat <laughs> will enjoy each other's company while the cat doesn't die. The big deal is when you go to a party, I mean, riding off of what you said, when you go to a party and your kids are there and other kids are there, and your kid does get ready for this, by the way, Jim. And your kid does something bad. Everyone looks at you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because you programmed it. Right? <laughs> like you were in charge of that and you, you screwed up. So, yeah, it's 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 really exciting. And I, I, I know it's sounds silly. I, I don't mean to honestly reduce it to like programming or anything like that. But I do kind of think of it like that in, in, in a shorthand kind of way where you know, you're like you said, you're helping shape shape them, you know? Yeah. And so, and you hope you did a good job. When they're really young, when they're like three or four and they're allowed to be away from you in places, they, they really do feel like a little robots because you're just like, oh my gosh, did I do this right? I hope I program this thing right. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like, because it, when they're three or two or three and you're like, stairs, man, you're not allowed to go down the stairs. You know what I mean? Or go on your butt. Yeah. And so then you're you're far away from them. And you're across the room and they're up at the stairs and, you're, and everyone's kind of around and everyone's, oh, the party's fun and everything. But you're just like, you're staring at them. You're like, go on your butt, go on your butt, go on, don't, don't get up, don't get up. And you're like, oh my gosh, they did it right. That's so awesome. You know, <laughs> it's, it feels really good. So it's good times. <laughs> yeah. Right now. Um, so he, he used to do this thing all the time where he would like go up to the cat that is the, the laziest and just wail on her. How old was this cat? Uh, 14. Okay. Oh, wow. So old cats are usually pretty chill about that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Uh, this, this is a cat that she'd get annoyed and, but not actually like leave. Right. Like she could leave at any time <laughs> and, and like he would not be able to follow over the baby gate. Uh, but she would just get annoyed instead. And we would like gentle pets, buddy, gentle pets. <laughs> and similarly, like, uh, you know, pulling on the, the liner around the bird cage and dumping like bird, like it, bird seed shells all over the ground you know, trying to get him to not do that and he nowadays he only does those things when he feels like we're not paying enough attention to him wow <laughs> that's cool so i i feel like i feel like we've made progress <laughs> well think about it like he's got a language now that's his language yeah well he also has words now oh okay well i mean but obviously he's using that right through communication and it's just like yeah it's, it's cool that i like that those things mean things to you that means something to you. Yeah. It doesn't just mean, oh, no, be, you're, you, did, you did it wrong, you know. Yeah. Babies are people. I will never accept the corporations are people, though. <laughs> That's a harder sell. Yeah. Maybe the corporations can grow up into being functioning members of society. <laughs> right. But for no. now, they keep shitting the bed, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. like, I don't think it's happening anytime soon. That's cool about the babies, though. Are you ready for another topic? Push the button. Sure. Uh, Nathan, your topic is other other jobs game designers would do well performing after they leave game dev. I, this is just open. Like I, I wish anybody would just tell me what's up because, or or does anybody know? You know anybody that's moved on? Um, because I think game design is really specific and strange, and so I don't know what other job it would apply to. It is so. I mean, if you're a programmer, that's easy, right? But I, I specifically brought this up because Shane probably has an interesting answer. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think my own path post games is is I won't I won't say unique because I'm sure somebody else has done this, but uh, I, I they have yet to reach out to me, so I don't know. The version of my bio right now is that uh, I'm I'm a Jesuit. I'm a member of a Catholic religious order. I'm studying to be a priest, but at the moment I'm well. I just finished this round of grad school studying philosophy and international political economy, and. When I, I explain these parts to people and they're like, what what the hell? Like that you go from games to this. And I'm like, well, you know, games taught me to see the world as systems. And uh, speci- I mean, as a designer, uh, I would, you know, take some complicated part of the world and try to turn it into math so the computer could do it. And, you know, I was taking 
trying to model trust or trying to model a country's economy or something more so, like how fire spreads through a field of dry grass. Uh, you take these things and you turn them into math. We, we all know that. But that systemic thinking then, like once I started learning how to apply that kind of in reverse, when I first first started studying economics, like at an, at an actual academic level, I was like, oh, I feel like I'm turning my game design skills inside out. Instead of trying to model the real world, I'm building a model that I hope reflects onto the real world and gives me predictive powers. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. But it's that same systemic modeling mind, but now you're kind of flipping the, the polarity of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. It is cool. I mean, I think in, the, in your particular situation, games as systems, that's really neat, you know, and fitting to economics for sure. Yeah. And I think the for my work, like as a, a the social justice side of it, like seeing systems that keep people poor, seeing systems that keep people oppressed, um, kind of all, all these things that enable the world as we know it, the good parts and the bad parts, they're all kind of these interlocking systems that all influence each other. And so kind of trying to understand what levers we can pull and what parts of it are pretty hard to extricate from which other parts. And so that that's something that designers, at least, I've found, like, once you start talking at that level and talking in that language, they can pick up on stuff really fast. Now, whether they're politically motivated to do so, whether they agree with the conclusions, that, that's a whole different matter. But I think that sort of uh, systemic mentality and kind of the ability to break things down that way is, is something that I, I have seen uh, game devs be pretty good at outside of their their game dev context. Yeah, it sounds like you're you're looking at the matrix code, right? Seeing everything <laughs> keeping everyone poor. It's just like right. Yeah, that's interesting. I do think there's you do get a lot of very specific skill sets in game development that seems like they seem like they would be useful outside of game development and the trick is just convincing people that that it's real. Most of the people I've met in the industry don't even understand what game design is half the time. <laughs> right. They don't even know. Like I spent producers, 10 years as a designer and I'm still not sure I producers, know. Producers, uh, a lot of, you know, studio directors, they they have a they, they don't appreciate game design, which is the the the, the meanest you know thing I could say is as a designer. It's the yeah, it's the most spiteful thing, but it's it's it just feels like that. What's the thing everybody thinks they can do? It's that's the problem with it. You get you get failed up to designer half the time at, <laughs> in, at places. I hate it. Anyway, I'm done. Rain over. Yeah, if you if you look at level design historically, it it really I think most people can't really tell the difference between a good and a bad video game level. Yep. The same way that probably a lot of people can't tell the difference between a joke that's funny and a joke that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> they know which one they laughed at. Yeah, I guess so. But but they can't tell you. Well, I don't think they could recreate it. You know what I mean? They couldn't make the next level good. I think that would be the issue is they, they could tell you what level they had fun on. Right. Know, hopefully. Right. And I think that level designers starting started getting a little bit more respect once they it started requiring technical chops hmm. because they needed to get uh, really competent in uh, 3D level editors, which is much more complicated than just scrubbing out a tile map. And that's the phenomenon that I've seen. And I've seen like, for example, um, writers have suffered from the same problem where literally everybody writes. Mm -hmm. Everybody in a game, game development studio writes at least a little bit. Right. But that doesn't mean they could write a good story. But they don't know that a lot of the time. Like a lot of the time, like they, they just, well, just throw whoever on it. Right. right. That's <laughs> true. Mm -hmm. It feels like that. Actually, the, the same phenomenon with, uh, this isn't, Strictly speaking, game development related, but um, web design. Mm. Uh, in in the nineties, in the early like the mid, early to mid nineties, everybody could make a web page, <laughs> and so it was really common for like if you had a small business and you need a web page for it, you know you don't want it, you don't you don't pay the high the expensive consultant, you just get your nephew to do it, <laughs> right? <laughs> because frankly, ninety nine percent of the people can't tell the difference, and then. CSS came along and that became the de facto standard for how you do web page design and web layout. And that really is a technical, like it's a, it's a, I would say CSS is more complicated than most programming tasks that I do. Have you ever tried to implement a version of CSS yourself? 
I have not. Do not try to do that. I have gone <laughs> down that road like twice. And Jeez, each twice. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is a whole freaking tangent we don't need to go off. Yeah. But I, but both times I was like, oh, like I was not tr- strictly speaking CSS, but I was like, oh, I could do this as like a declarative style thing. Yeah, that. Oh, my God. I, I have I'm, I have so much respect for uh, the people who write rendering code for for browser engines uh because that is just <laughs> the most maddening thing and i was just dealing with like five or six rules at a time right yeah no it's one of those classic like now you have two problems things yeah just use chromium like everybody else yeah, but after spending like three months on this thing twice uh like 10 years apart uh i was like why didn't i just do this as a web thing like why why did i have to be all prideful and say i'm gonna do it in c and OpenGL is gonna be great and i was like this could have just been html and javascript man just <laughs> just own it if the devil were around now would he have done that like prideful he'd probably think he could do it right well he'd probably convince me that i could do it yes <gasps> maybe he did there's the evil the evil spirit the evil spirit does these things that's the only explanation as to why you do that twice. <laughs> well, it's because it was 10 years later and I thought that I had like learned. Oh my gosh. That is pride. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely pride. I, I recognize my vanity in this. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, I can see that. How would your life be different if you had succeeded the second time? Like I said, this is one of those game projects that I, you know, that nobody would care about. Uh, so. Right, right. But but in terms of pride, you'd be like, oh, yes, I succeed. I'm awesome because I succeeded in that. Yeah. And, and and I would have posted it to some indie game site and I uh, would have felt pretty good about myself. And then a month later, I'd feel really shitty because uh, nobody else cared. <laughs> Uh, that's 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 my experience. Even if you're successful, that's like the, the joy lasts for about a month in my experience. What's really great about that, though, is that, like, living in a community, uh, like, I live with 20 guys about my age, and almost none of them actually care about video games, um, which is, <laughs> it's actually really nice. And, like, and like there's a couple guys who, like, we, we play games and we talk about it, and, and but, like, just kind of recognizing that, like, oh, there's this whole other non-game world uh but it's also yeah. very humbling because like when i when, every now and then when i try to play the like oh right i used to be kind of a big <laughs> shot uh so you just get these blank stares and they're like okay well whatever you haven't finished your theology yet so <laughs> <laughs> you got that t-shirt that says i'm kind of a big deal <laughs> i, I did that i'll add that to my list <laughs> And that's kind of what I was getting at when I was talking about how like, oh yeah, games teach you systems thinking, but the trick is to convince people outside of games that you have learned anything from this. Yeah. And I guess you're, the, what you did was you just started at the bottom anyway. Yeah. No, my first, like literally the first stage is called novice. Oh, this is level one. <laughs> Basically. Let's go around, kick some rats until you level up. <laughs> one of my old design buddies, uh, when I told him, like, the, he was like, you have a really good faction progression, actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> he goes, novice, scholastic, regent, theologian, then you're a priest, and then a few years later, or maybe 20 years later, you get you, you become fully vowed or fourth vowed. Ooh. And he's like, he's like that's an awesome faction progression. <laughs> and this is the guy who was like, Making faction progressions for Oblivion and Skyrim and stuff. That's so awesome. Like, hey, cool. I feel yeah. So, I, I've i seen um, in relation to you, I think it maybe it was in your bio at one point, Jesuit Scholar. Scholastic. Was it Scholastic? I'm, I'm, I must have misread it. So, yeah. Sorry if that popped a bubble and you were going to say something cool about me being a scholar. <laughs> <laughs> so, that has to change now. I am now a regent. A Jesuit, Although- Jesuit regent? Yes. So technically, I'm still a scholastic as well, but that's inside baseball that we don't care about. <laughs> okay. Um, and do you have to change your your what do you call the the thing that goes after the comma after your name? Uh, my my order designation. No, that stays the same. Okay. Uh, the S the SJ is is still the same. And what does that stand for? Uh, Society of Jesus or Societati Jesu in the Latin. Nice. All right. We're learning so much here on Topic Lords. Yeah. See. Loving it. But that was, so when I was a novice, it was lowercase n, capital S-J, for novice in the Society of Jesus. And then once I took vows, I got to drop the N, and I was just S-J. Yeah, I I do think that giving people cool titles is, and not just, not just cool titles, but like a, titles that get progressively cooler as they advance. See, you think that, but it's, Regent sounds like it should be the top, doesn't it? This is the midway point. Mm-hmm. 
This is like, like I, so I work now for a couple of years and then I have to go back to school again to study theology. I'm literally about uh, halfway through the process right now. It'll be five years in August. Well, it's like a, like a doctorate. Uh, yeah. So the standard time is about 11 years. I'm probably going to do 10 be- only because I'm older. So you, you get an extra year of being a priest before you die. Is that the idea? <laughs> the idea is like, well, maybe we'll move you along a little quicker because we don't want you to get ordained. And then we send you right to the retirement home. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, and honestly, you're going to have some more life experience too, right? Uh, that's the hope. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. Like, like when you get a doctorate from your life experience. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I think I'd like that in a lot of subjects, honestly. Don't you do some things at home that you're just like, man, no one's watching this and I'm so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No one no one appreciates this cool thing I'm doing. Dang it. <laughs> What's the cool thing you do that you wish people would watch? When I make my lunch. Go on. Yeah, yeah. See, that's what I was waiting for. Um, <laughs> you take anything that any kind of fruit or vegetable that you're messing with, you take it and then you toss it towards the ceiling and see how close you can get. <laughs> so, it's tomato. There's tomato, lemon. An apple, those are good candidates, um, anything mm-hmm. around. And if you hit the ceiling, I mean, you know, you screwed up. That's like, you failed. Right. It's, it's like price is right rules. You want to... Price is right rules. Yeah. You go over, then it's then it's bad. And I teach this to the kids, at least. They're, they're kind of enjoying it. And then um, the problem is, of course, if you make a mess on the ceiling or the floor, you have to clean it up. <laughs> so... <laughs> not as good as bushido blade yeah no no that's true but but this is like you know this is physical you know they're they're developing hand-eye coordination out of this similar to bushido blade but you could you could stream this on twitch they allow like cooking shows now (laughs) i would watch that it's not just video games anymore yeah unfortunately i would probably do better on my twitch channel and discord for anything other than video game promotion because every time I think about marketing my games, I want to stab myself in the eye with a pencil. So yeah, I mean, this is why I I leaned into making games that were immoral to promote. <laughs> Just, like, is the whole point is that it's a secret? Seriously, you stinker! Now no one else can do that. I, yeah, like I I I I hate doing marketing, oh, and gosh. I feel like I'm bad at it. Like the one thing that I feel like I am good at is like if I get an interview, I can I, I can give a good conversation you know jim i've literally never pledged a kickstarter as fast as i did as i did for frog fractions too <laughs> i i'm not kidding at all that was like you posted it to twitter i think i immediately clicked the link and gave you money you didn't you didn't read the the text when i i did after i gave you money i think yeah yeah just the the, the promise that i will i promise to never promote this thing yeah. oh that's funny <laughs> Was part of the text of the Kickstarter. and But I'm saying, like, you know, if you create the right mystique, mm, yes. the promotion happens on its own. It was the, the audacity of promising to never market it was, in fact, the marketing. <laughs> Which is an, is an excellent trick, but I don't know if you can pull it off multiple times. And what it is, essentially, is you just said, okay, everybody, this is word of mouth only. You better help me out. Like, yeah. I mean, yep. that was it. It was awesome. I pledged to it too. Honestly, I just clicked on this Kickstarter and it said Fraud Fractions too. And I was like, oh boy. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I went ahead and backed it. But I was like, yep, oh boy, here we go. Because I remember being like, I, I have no idea what this is going to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> like the- I also had no idea what it was going to be. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> well, and I remember like, because what, what year did you run that Kickstarter? Uh, that was 2014. Okay. Because I remember at, like at that point, I was like, I was in the process of applying to the Jesuits and everything. And I knew that when I entered, I was going to like, I wasn't going to have a computer or a phone for two years. And I remember being like, God, I hope this game comes out before I, and, and it didn't. It came out while I was a novice. Oh, no. No, no, no. Dude, your my schedule is not your schedule. That's fine. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but then, yeah, when I, when I got to studies and I got a computer again, I was, it was like one of the first things I got to load up and I was very excited. That's awesome. I'm, 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 I love hearing these stories. All right. Hey, you guys ready for another topic? Topics are great. Uh, Shane, your topic is history of changing worldviews, not just Darwin, but things like the Big Bang and Continental Drift were originally seen as crackpot fringe theories. Yeah. I feel, so it was the Continental Drift thing that I was uh, reading about recently. And uh, of course, I'm now going to forget the scientist who was originally proposing this but once we finally mapped the world it didn't 
it wasn't too hard to say like, oh, wow, South America looks like it kind of fits into Africa. That That's kind of kooky, right? It's weird, huh? Yeah. And, and once we started figuring out fossil records, we were like, oh, yeah, like there's the same kind of animal was at these places that are now super far apart. Right. There's weird sea creatures at the top of this mountain. Yeah. And... But when uh, the the first guy started proposing this idea of continental drift, it was just considered like batshit, the weirdest stuff. It was like flat earth level, like insanity <laughs> for and, and right. not just this wasn't like everyday, like the scientific community was like, dude, no, this is like this is your crank theory. You got to stop trying to promote this for a long time. And it wasn't until like they were they were able to finally kind of map the the ridges and find like the shape of the plates and everything that people started to say like, oh, this could be a thing. I started reading about this because uh, for whatever reason, I was getting really into the idea of um, of lost continents, like not just Atlantis, but uh, Lemuria and Mu, which was one that was supposed to be in the Pacific. This was like the fanciful literature of like the 1800s, 19, and it wasn't just stuff for science fiction. It was like, well, that they're like, that makes the most sense. Like, why were there the same animals in Australia and India you know, two billion years ago, it's like, well, there must have been a land bridge that connected them at that point, and now that right. place is gone. Mm. And like that made the most scientific sense, um, and so people started making stories about it. But, but the idea that like these theories that are just totally wacko, and the Big Bang was the same thing. Like that debate that goes back to Aristotle of whether the universe always existed or had a starting point, which like even just having that as a debatable topic seemed is like a weird thing for our mindsets. Cause I grew up with the idea of the big bang. So I was like, Oh sure. When, it, and when the big bang was first proposed, it was a scientist who also happened to be a priest. And so the people were like, Oh, you're just trying to spin the creation theory is in, into science. Like get the hell out of here. And then we measured the movement of galaxies and stuff. And it's like, Hey, actually this whole big bang theory actually makes sense. And so there's part of me that's fascinated by these things that when they first come out are just completely bizarre uh and then come to be accepted uh and there's part of me that's like well what what are the crazy fringe theories these days that might turn out to be right <laughs> um yeah but also just that that process of you know like we think of science as moving as, as sort of the steady progression but when it takes these huge leaps in in conceptual understandings like what does that do yeah and my understanding is that the process of of the scientific community coming to grips with one of these weird ideas is that uh, all the scientists who were like, who were alive when it was proposed have to die. Oh, jeez, <laughs> Kind of, yeah. <laughs> because they're never going to believe it because it's always going to be weird. Right. And their pride is caught up with like their, their work, which is tied to the old worldview, which is, yeah. So do you see, do you see that as science itself working? correctly that eventually we find the truth so to speak or is it politics holding things up or both i think i think yes like both yeah uh, science is working as well as anything we have because there's that sense too of like of, of of you can be right for the wrong reasons you know you, you could be accidentally right yeah. And it doesn't mean it's not science. It's just like you you happened upon the right idea, but you know, there's there's no evidence for it. There's no actual math behind it. There's no, you know, repeatable experiment we can run. Well, I was just feeling good about it though, though that you know, Shane, you were saying it was a crackpot theory at the beginning with the continental drift. And then in 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 like a Gene Roddenberry sort of way, I was just like, oh, and then everyone researched it and figured it out. But then you ruined that and said, no, everyone died. <laughs> and, you know, and then they didn't believe their stupid old ideas. And then the young people believe the next thing. That's not like the fun science. Right. Well, but but you can take comfort in the fact that what we believe now is definitely correct. Exactly. And now we've got to figure it out. You can keep believing that until you're dead. Right. And never have to change your mind. Yeah. That's – there's had to have been people – during the continental drift period and the big bang, you know, when those were coming about that could change their perspective, you know what I mean? And it started to accept it and the old guard died off, but some of them had to have also, yeah, I'm sure there were people who believed it. And like, probably you can find like science fiction at the time about it, that sort of thing. But then also hopefully it wasn't just people that were like just out and out believing it just because it sounded great. 
but scientists that, you know, can kind of see some sort of truth to it and then and, and, and making the leap, you know, in their mind and then like starting to believe the new thing, like from a, almost from a scientific perspective, not just from a hope perspective. And, and I think like, you know, we casting ourselves as the heroes in these stories, we all like to believe that we would be the ones who's like, well, I would see the truth. Oh, definitely. And I would be able to tell, <laughs> obviously. Obviously. Um, <laughs> but, but you know it's I, I hopefully have developed enough intellectual humility to be like no i would i i'm definitely setting my views on some things and there are definitely certain things that i have a fixed brain about <laughs> um yeah and, and that i'm sure i will someday be presented with evidence th- that completely baffles me about something and i I'll, I'll just die on the spot from an inability to accept it <laughs> it's like i can't eat cookies without milk so and i think anyone that doesn't have milk is kind of messed up <laughs> have you considered just eating cookie dough instead of eating cookies? Because it's more like squishy. It's more wet. <laughs> you doesn't. You don't need milk to you fix it. You get that moisture. Yeah. What is that word? What is that word for the food bowl as it goes down your throat? Uh, the bolus. The bolus. Oh, damn, you guys. Yeah. High five. <laughs> nice. Boom. Digital. So, are we just going for that? Is that what I should do, Jim? I need to be like a cow now, and I just have this <laughs> mush ball. <laughs> Listen, it's a delicious mush ball. <laughs> it's true. That's what you when you know you're an adult is when you're able to mix all the food on your plate. And when you're a kid, you can't. Like the food can't touch. Yeah, yeah. Categorization. So is, is, is that just a is that just an efficiency then like that we're heading towards, Jim, as an adult? Is it you just like, well, it's going to end up like a big mush ball in my mouth? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no. My point is actually that the, the cookie dough eating is a better experience. Mm. It, it it tastes better. You don't need to. I don't know what kind of cookies you're eating, but my cookies are really good <laughs> that I make. <laughs> Listen, I'm sure they're fine if you put them in milk. Oh <laughs> no, I don't dip that them. That is a sick burn. I drink it, so I crunch. You know, chomp chomp chomp. Eat cookie, drink milk. I don't do the dip thing. Okay, but you're. Oh wait, so do they ever mix in your mouth? Is the question? Well, that technically happens. Yeah, but. <laughs> okay. I just get it. it's a whole texture, you know, sensory experience at that point where it's crunchy chocolate cookie. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The the variety yes, so good. These are the homemade variety of too. textures over the whole process is that's real. I'm glad we figured that out. <laughs> that's what this show's for. <laughs> that's right. We're here to we're here to argue about the best way to eat cookies. The hard questions. Uh that's all the time we have here today on Topic Lords. All right. It's a good time. Uh Shane, if this is something that you want. How can people find you on the internet? Uh, probably the easiest way is is my Twitter handle, which is Optimist Panda, like like a panda who sees the bright side of things. Uh, not not like Optimus Prime. I've had people misunderstand <laughs> that. Uh, I also like Transformers, but that's not the Twitter thing. Is that a um? That that feels like a generated name. Is that a name you pick? No, dang man, jeez. Do you want a whole story? I do. Tell me. So. The panda thing has been a long time, like since college, because I I physically just kind of resemble a panda. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> I've just sort of identified as that for a while. And, but in starting in college, like my email alias at virginia.edu was cynical panda. <laughs> and this was like, and it was my first Twitter handle. And I think it's still my PlayStation name because you can't change your name. Uh, and it was like all my stuff. Um, and then like. I, I, you know, the start of like my worldview shift that would eventually lead me to religious life uh, was the like first signaled, I think, when I switched from cynical panda to optimist panda. That's beautiful. That is, I was just say that's a great story. I was just thinking like a friend of mine, I, I think I can safely give this away because he doesn't actually use the handle anymore, but he he's utility bear on Xbox Live Arcade. And that was just like... Xbox 360's name generator picked that for him and it was just, this is a great name. <laughs> that is pretty good. I mean, that's where Childish Gambino came from was like a random generator. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That's funny. Served him well. That is pretty good. Uh, Nathan, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I am Mommy's Best Games on Facebook and Twitter and mommysbestgames.com. There's no apostrophe. It's uh, it's, it's possessive, but no apostrophe. MMO why yes mommy's best games if you liked contra or r type um or any retro game but want to play a new version of that that's cool and different you should play my games so come visit me also the one about the pig vomiting tennis balls look i don't know 
what do do uh, like an analogy to a musician or a director for that for me, Jim, like or Shane? A piggy ball is your Schindler's List. There you go. Wow. There's. I love that game. I love. I love the movie too. But um, I love piggy ball. But um, it's definitely clearly outside of the, the 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 circle of the running guns that I normally make and the shoot 'em ups. So. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it's it's definitely of a piece though. With like, I mean, when I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, that's that that's I, I recognize this. Well, that's that's I mean that's that's the point. And so to me, when a lot of times when when an, when an actor or a musician or you know or artist is doing something, a lot of times I like everything they make, even when it diverges. So I was hoping people would go with me, and some of them have, you know what I mean. But other people are like a hundred percent. Um, you know, they just want a certain thing, which I can respect because I actually really just like running guns also and stuff. But then I'm, like right now, I just bought the TurboGrafx-16 Mini and I'm loving it and my nine-year-old is into it and we're playing Bomberman 93. And the fact that he could be playing anything else or Minecraft, but he's playing Bomberman 93 with me and it's a little maze game. I love yeah. that. And I love maze games like that, you know, and that's where Piggy Ball kind of came from that just you know turning out mechanics and level design and puzzles and stuff so bomberman is timeless it's it's incredible i just can't get over it it's just it's so tight the design is does that thing have a multi-tap can you plug in eight controllers yes you can it's crazy but you know what i can't uh, get a hold of a controller right now i've only got one i get you can't buy any right now they're gone oh so, wow oh he, so he's playing bomberman single player yeah it's hardcore oh it's a nine-year-old think about that this it's a he's a contemporary <laughs> nine year old playing Bomberman ninety three, and um, we haven't even gotten into what ninety three means, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, he's loving it, and this so we is take, how old your dad is exactly. I'm sitting in the office and I'm working, and then you know four or five o'clock rent rolls around and they start playing games, and he's playing, and then I'll kind of slowly migrate off of work. And then I'll come and visit. He'll be like, Dad, Dad, I just beat like B7. You got to come check this out. I'm like, oh, okay. And then, um, and then I'll start taking turns with him. And then we'll switch over to Lords of Thunder. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, if this is heaven, yes. We, <laughs> we play some Lords of Thunder. We're trading lives. It's awesome. Are you, are you familiar with uh, the TurboGrafx? Um, like how familiar are you with that, that console's catalog in general? Okay, so fairly familiar, but what I am just loving about the this emulation is I never officially owned any of this, and I don't know a bunch about it. So it's a big history learn and you know dip for me. So I know it's got this weird bifurcated you know hardware issue, just all kinds of like CD thing and you know the like the regular triple graphics, and then there's the Japanese American versions. It's nuts. I was just wondering if you knew like how good a represent representative that uh, um, that game selection is of that era of history, basically. Well, I can tell you this: there was a port of Lord of Lords of Thunder on the Wii, and it was the proper um, CD pumped up version, right? And for some insane reason, this version is the nice looking like Genesis port. It's not, but like if you had to port the, you know, a CD version to the Genesis, this is what it would look like. So the music is actually pretty good, but it really disappoints me that the art is not as, as good as the Wii port is as a whole. In terms of a whole selection of games, this collection from what I've seen is incredible compared to other um, mini boxes. The reason I haven't bought most of the mini boxes is because I own most of those games. And they've been fine. Right. And when you go, hey, top 20 games on the Super NES, duh, fine. But when you take this like sideline alternate history Spock with the goatee console, and then yeah. you say, hey, hey, here's 60 games you never played? Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's a dream come true. Like, I'm in love with this thing. Like, I already own all the other cool games. Yes, like Mega Man X and, you know, Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Love it. Great. But I haven't played most of these games. So, it's freaking great. Yeah. That's that's a real strong argument. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, I have I have both a NES and a SNES Classic. And the most fun I had with them was, like, curating my list of what are the games I actually want on this thing and then modding it to have them mm -hmm. and like finding good versions of the box art That's cool. to, so the menus looked good like and then like after that like actually playing the games eh. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot. There's a lot that once you boot them up again, you're like, oh right, this wasn't actually. Yeah, this didn't hold up as well as I hoped it would. Well, yeah, and like I, I've like starting in like 1997, I was playing NES games in emulation. I have played so many, like all the NES games that I give a shit about. I have already played more than they deserve and yet i still have the feeling like from my childhood of like oh an, an nes game that's that's where i go for fun mm-hmm. that's new and exciting and like a bunch of nes games i could play right now yes except that like the reality of it is oh right i i did this already i have exhausted this system but i haven't exhausted the turbo graphics it's not, you know, it's not the best thing ever, but like I said, it's just like, imagine you lived in your house for 30 years and then you found out there's a new ANX. You're just like, what? You open right. <laughs> you just open it up. And you're like, well, apparently there's three more rooms in my house. That sounds terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. It's really cool because it's just a frozen history of games that personally I love shit from the 90s. You know what I mean? Pardon my French, but like I love these games from the 90s. Like, And this thing's heavy on the shooters. Like I love shoot 'em ups and stuff. So, um, they got the, you know, launch R type, um, like a star soldier, like soldier blade or whatever. Some st- it's always stuff like I always see in books and I, I collect all those HD one one books. Those are a lot of fun. And so there's a lot of games in here that have, you know, that Kurt like, you know, mentions and I'm like, Oh crap, I finally get to play those. So it's pretty cool. Oh my gosh. Get the, okay. Get out of town. Ginga Sapphire is this very expensive turbo graphics game. They just threw it on there. <laughs> so now there's hundreds. I don't know. It's five hundred dollars. It's a thousand dollars. It's insane. It's a shooter with polygonal graphics. It's it's pretty good actually. It's pretty fun, but it's got an insane like you know uh, original value, and it's just on there now. And I've always wanted to play it, but um, so I'm kind of loving that stuff. One thing I read that was weird was that they have Snatcher, a Hideo Kojima's adventure oh, game. Yes, on that on that so system, pissed. but only in Japanese. Dude, are you kidding me? <laughs> For real. So listen, it's really cool, super duper cool that you could switch over to the Japanese version and find all these games on there. And a different selection of games. I've never played Snatcher. And now I still never going to play Snatcher. It really pisses me off. I bet you could mod a fan localization onto that system. Oh, yeah. And put it on the US menu. That would be cool. Because like you said, there is a whole new selection of Japanese games on this thing, which is pretty cool. And some of them are repeats, but most of, or a lot of them are different. And um, it's fun to dig through. I like it a lot. And I don't, I don't mind that they're Japanese. I don't know. Someday. Someday I'll play it in, in English. I can understand it. And that's where you can find Nathan on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how long it takes to, take to, to, takes to talk to me about anything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I was the one who, who, who proposed going on this tangent. It's I love okay. It. It's my favorite. Uh, thanks so much for being on. Thank thanks, you. Jim. It's good meeting you, Shane. It was awesome. Likewise. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.